morning we're going to be in Mark 6, verses 45 through 56, to the end of the chapter. And the last time we saw the feeding of the 5,000, we saw pretty amazing. The Bible tells us that the multitudes ran on foot to come to Jesus. At the time, he wasn't giving anything out. He wasn't giving out calculators or toasters or any gimmicks. He just was preaching the word of God. And they ran from the surrounding regions to find Jesus because they were hungry in their spirits. They, were, they needed to be filled. And when they listened to his words, it ministered to them to such an effect. And you have to imagine that this took hours, that at some point they were hungry and some of them were faint. So there was a dilemma now. You've got possibly upwards of 15,000 people that needed to be fed. But they were so focused on their spiritual bellies that they neglected their actual stomachs. And Jesus, of course, provided that physical food for them so they could be sustained and they could continue on their journey. In the Western culture, you, you see a little bit of a reversal. You know, in America, in this area, you know, we're, we're pretty well fed in our bellies. But with all the hustle and the bustle and the distractions and the technology and the social media, sometimes we're neglectful when it comes to our spiritual bellies. And that's very important. Jesus said he is the bread of life. The more he feeds us in a spiritual way, we'll never hunger, we'll never lack. And today, well, we see that Jesus sends the disciples into yet another storm. The disciples had a few storms that they went through. And I'm going to talk about this, uh, this whole storm concept, really four parts to the storm. But the storms of life, you know, you and I, we, we go through those storms too. As you're sitting in these pews, maybe you came here to be ministered. Maybe you came here to be uplifted. Maybe you've come through a few storms. And like, probably like me, you cherish the calm seasons. However, we should not neglect to allow the storms of life to change us. We must go through storms. We can't avoid every storm. However, what's the sense in going through it just to be aggrieved and aggravated? When we go through them, if we follow what the scripture says then we can be matured, we can grow in our faith, in our constitution, in our character. And this morning we're going to see that Jesus walks on water. But how many knew, how many know this fact that for a short period of time that Peter also walked on water? Raise your hand. Oh, well, a lot of you. So the rest of you are in for a treat because you're going to see Jesus walk on water. And, well, not literally, Uh, And we're also going to view through the scripture that Peter did it as well. So I just really enjoy this portion of scripture, and let's jump in, starting with verse 45. It says, Immediately he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, And he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. So the Lord does something interesting here, and it's threefold. He gets the disciples into the boat. 
He sends the multitude away, and he goes up to a mountain by himself. Make no mistake, Jesus was a take-charge type of person. Of course, he was the Son of God. He knows best. He was very gentle. He was the ultimate in paradoxes. He was very gentle, but he was also very take-charge. And sometimes when we see the Lord do things, we don't understand. Well, what did he do this for? Well, what did he do that for? Disciples had the same questions. Sometimes in ministry, the Lord allows things to happen. And we wonder, how, how is this? Why is that? And we're going to go through that. But let me just give you a little context as well. In John chapter 6, which also records this, this scene, what happened was some of the crowd wanted to take Jesus at that very moment and make him their Messiah. Kingdom now, political Messiah, and that's not what the Lord came from. That's in our near future, but it certainly wasn't for his first coming. So let's check out these verses. He does three things. Number one, he leads by example. In that every minister needs time to themselves to pray and to rest. Now, we as ministers, obviously not being the son of God, certainly need these things. Now, I'm going to vacillate. I'm going to go back and forth between Jesus as the... He was a minister. He ministered to people's needs. He ministered to spiritual needs. So he was the ultimate, the quintessential, the prototype of a minister. And he set the example But I'm also going to go back to those of us maybe who are in ministry or who desire ministry. And the example that he set, we're to follow. So the first thing is we need rest. You know, if we go and we serve and we give out and we minister too much and we don't get that time of prayer and rest, first of all, we're not doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Second of all, it can lead to frustration, acting out in the flesh, handling situations improperly. The second thing that we see that Jesus does, and it's no particular order, is that he gives the seekers, not the disciples, right? He had something for himself, quiet, rest, pray, had something for the disciples, but he also gave the seekers a chance to go on their own, to be be dismissed, and maybe on their walk home to think about what they heard in terms of the teachings. Now, I try to follow the scripture as close as possible as I can. Because I think, you know, it says the ministry of the Lord's way, we're in, in the fourth part of this. And we want to do it the Lord's way, don't we? We don't want to do it our way. So, and, and I do that too, like from the pulpit, I'll say what you heard today, if you're, especially if you're new on the, on the beach, when you're just kind of chilling out and got the, the things over your eyes and you're catching some vitamin D rays there, um, that you think about what you heard today on the drive home. Maybe when you're alone, maybe if you're walking on the, on the boardwalk or something, you think about what you heard and you try to put it into practice. The third thing that happened here was that Jesus sent his disciples, these are legal terms in New Jersey, knowingly, purposefully, right? He sent his disciples into the, into the storm to be tested. And that's the first part we're going to cover of the storm, the actual sending them into the storm. On the church Facebook wall, I put the... You know, I was talking about today's message, and I asked the question, does anybody know the fundamental, the most important difference between the disciples going into the storm in chapter 4 and the disciples going into the storm here? You can call it out if you like. One major difference. This time, Jesus was not with them in the boat. Right? You can, if you read it too fast, you'll miss that. The first time in chapter 4, he took them... He, he went with them on the boat. 
and they were frightened and terrified. The second time, he actually allowed them to go into the storm with his, under his watchful eye, but he was not right there with them in the boat. So that's pretty fascinating. And I look at this as what I call progressive responsibility. Progressive responsibility, progressive. So in other words, we see this too, don't we? As we go through life, there's times that you almost feel like you're almost sitting on the Lord's lap. You're going through this storm, you're going through this difficulty, and he's, he's directing every step of the way. He's there with you. He's real close. And then as we start to grow in Christ and our character starts to get stretched, what happens? Sometimes he'll send us with progressive responsibility. We'll go into a situation. We know he's there. We know he's got his eye on us. But just maybe we, we don't sense that extreme closeness anymore. And that's an amazing thing because what it does is it helps us to grow. And you see this cycle of, with the disciples and with us too, this training, right? Then he sends them out and there's a trial. Then they come back and there's a debriefing. Then there's a retraining and then a trial and then a debriefing. So you see these things happening in cycles. And I'm going to be a little repetitive. I hope you don't mind. While we're still in the part of the scripture where we're talking about discipleship, probably over the last few months, I might have said that word discipleship probably hundreds of times. But as we go through the scripture, and you know, this is a historical account, we're going to go into the cross and the resurrection and eschatology and different biblical doctrines. But right now we're in discipleship, and it's very, very important. Because when we get out of that section, we may not be in it for a year or so. Right? So let's absorb everything we can about this. I've often referred to my, in policing, being a field training officer, training young officer for roughly 10 years. And again, the department doesn't realize it, but they use these same principles. Jesus mastered these principles of discipleship. So I'm going to read to you a handout that I kind of came up with, and I have it out in the lobby if you want to grab it uh, on your way out of service. But three short paragraphs, and it says what to expect from discipleship. First paragraph, discipleship is a concept that all of the world uses in some form or another, whether it is a secular trade apprenticeship program Continuing training to avoid brain drain in a large organization such as the military or law enforcement, or even continuation of training much needed volunteers in a nonprofit. So you see this variety. But for our application, it is very important to the health of the aggregate church. Without discipleship, the local churches eventually die, and the statistics on the American church back that up. Second paragraph Jesus, being the Son of God, perfected the concept of discipleship with those that he chose, but according to John six sixty six, many of the Lord's disciples, quote, went back and walked with him no more. Can you imagine that? They left the perfect discipler, Jesus Christ, after some hard teachings. This was not a reflection on Jesus, but on the condition of the human heart, Jeremiah seventeen six. And if disciples left the perfect discipler, then they will leave the imperfect church and imperfect human disciplers. Third paragraph. Below is a list of general expectations that someone considering being discipled should look at and pray about, which will hopefully mitigate disillusionment and departure based on misunderstanding of what a discipleship program looks like. Even if you cannot commit to discipleship now, there are principles and expectations in here that all Christians can and should adhere to. Much of this comes from how the Lord discipled his followers in Matthew 10, Luke 10, and Mark 6, but additional scripture references are provided as well. And if you pick it up, I'll 
I'm not going to go through all 10 points, but you can, you can check that out on your own. So discipleship is very important. Verse 47. It says, Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. I suppose you could call this the second part, which is the proverbial calm before the storm. I've had a, a, a peer of mine, Pastor Tom Dickerson, come and preach a few times in this church. He's an awesome pastor. And he goes, Joe, I'm concerned when everything's going right in the church. And he goes, I'm concerned when there's a lull. He goes, because if we're really doing it right, we will come under spiritual attack. So here's the calm before the storm. And you may experience that in your own life. You know, you sit back and everything's peaceful and there's calm. But maybe you understand that something's coming. Remember what I told you that uh, the night before my father passed away in prayer, I was praying and the Lord revealed to me that my dad was going to pass away. And that was important because two of my siblings couldn't come in. I mean, my, yeah, my siblings couldn't come in to New Jersey and it was me and my younger brother. And he said to me, he goes, I want you to do everything. So I had to be strong and God prepared me. Now I call this preparatory revelation. And that's something as a believer, when you're in tune with the Lord, when you're praying, and and I've said this from the pulpit, that sometimes stop talking, and I have to follow this too, and just listen. See what the Lord is speaking to us. What is he putting in the forefront of our mind? What is he trying to say to us? So preparatory revelation. Now I have to tell you that uh, my dad's funeral and his wake, the gospel was preached, and a lot of people heard the truth about salvation. So, So that was a good thing. But, and I've said this before, in ministry, and this is very important you understand this, we are not special, we're just willing. God will provide this for you in your personal lives as well. He wants to speak with you. People say, Pastor, pray for me, and I will. But you know, you have just as much authority, you have just as much um, access to the throne as I do. The Bible is very clear about that. You know, God is not a respecter of persons. So keep that in mind. Verse 48. Then he, Jesus, saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. So here's the third part is the storm. Yet another storm for the disciples. And sometimes we look in our lives and we say, gee, another storm for me. And you could be here this morning and say, Pastor Joe, not just one. You know, June's been a rough month. I mean, I got hit with financial I got hit with relational. I got hit with, you know, medical. You know, we pick one. Or E, all the above. You know, check off that box. The storms of life. Let me tell you what the disciples didn't do, though, this time. They didn't give up. They didn't throw their oars in the water. They didn't throw their hands in the air. They didn't wave the white flag. And maybe it's the investigator in me, but I'm looking, I'm looking for these little details. It looks to me like they did better in this trial than over the last trial. Sometimes God delivers us from something. And sometimes God delivers us through something. And which one do we like better? The from, obviously. Lord, I'll pick choice number A. Thank you very much. However, reality is oftentimes it's B. It's often that he delivers us through something. I'm with you. I'm right here with you. Don't panic. I know it's painful. 
I know it hurts. I know you think nobody understands. I know you think I've forsaken you. And God is right there with you. He wants to deliver us through something. I know this is affecting some of you this morning. That's a good place to be. We want to go from it, but he wants us to go through it. Now, this is the fourth fourth watch of the night, which is about 3 a.m. Think about this, too. When the disciples should have been sleeping, they were struggling for their lives. They were rowing like mad. And probably if they had a GPS in the boat, it would say, you have not moved. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) In life, we face these things as well. But do we allow them just to be a, a pain? And See, we have to be careful because... Brothers and sisters, trials can turn to bitterness. I've been there. It can turn to bitterness. And you start to catch yourself and say, I'm going in the wrong direction here. They're supposed to make us better, not bitter, as the expression goes. The the storms of life have the ability to forge us into the spiritual man or woman that God wants us to be. I had a young man who has a desire to become a pastor ask me, how did you get here? I said, I drove. He goes, no, I didn't mean that. How did you get to be the senior pastor? (laughs) And I said, brother, he wanted to know what courses he could take, what schooling he should go to, and that's all cool. But I said, brother, where I am now probably has more to do with struggles than formal education. Think about that. Sometimes some, they go to their favorite seminaries, they go to get their schooling, they amass all these degrees like the world does. And hey, it's good to gain knowledge, but knowledge can puff up, right? Love edifies. And, you know, there's some that go to seminary that aren't doing it by the Holy Spirit. They're relying heavily on their degrees and the letters after their names. But struggle deepens a person. And the struggle that you're going through this morning, let the message speak to you. God wants to deepen you. He's going to do something with you. He will use it for his glory, and you will be a vessel in the master's hand. You'll be a tool. You'll be a scalpel in the surgeon's fingers. This Greek word for struggle, or this Greek word for straining at rowing is, and I I looked in my Greek lexicon, and I looked at the semantic range of this word means, this was torturous for them. You know, their, their back muscles, their shoulders, their rotator cuff, you know, the whole, and they're going, and they're, and they're expending energy, and they're rowing, and they're trying, and they're trying, and they're not getting anywhere. And remember, we talked about how big the Sea of Galilee was. To be stuck in the middle of that place in pitch darkness, not knowing where you are, not having a compass, not having the GPS, and not even probably being able to see the stars because of the storm cover. They were just stuck in this awful situation. But let me tell you this. Let's think about nature for a moment. When the seed goes into the ground, right, it has to break through its casing. It has to break through the earth and the heavy you know, mud that's formed when it rains to get through there and become something and give and bear fruit. And the ones that don't just stay in the ground and they rot. The butterfly who's in the cocoon, you ever watch the time-elapse photography about how they they wriggle and they try to get out of that cocoon? A lot of that has to do with water balance and the, the shape of the butterfly. When the butterfly comes out, without that struggle, it won't be a butterfly. You see this in nature. And, okay, many of you know I'm a beekeeper. I actually have on my hive boxes uh, plexiglass windows. They probably think I'm weird looking in at them all the time, okay? What are you guys doing in there? So... 
but they have their brood pattern and they, you know, the larvae are sealed with food and the nurse bees take care of them and then they cover them with a hard wax covering. And to us, to, it's not a big deal, but to them, that's like very solid stuff to break through. And I've actually watched them and they come out head first, you know, and they push and they struggle and they wriggle and they push. And this could go on for a long time. I don't even have time to sit there and watch them the whole time. And I can't even help them if I wanted to. But, you know, you see the eyes come out and the antenna and then they, their heads move back and forth and they're, you know, the rest of the body and they struggle to get out of there. Brothers and sisters, do we think as higher forms of life, as those made in God's image, that we're not going to struggle? Of course we are. Why? Because we're not perfect. We're sinners. And that struggle does things. It gets us closer to him. It helps us to have compassion on others. It does things that you don't even realize it's doing, but it's doing it in your life. Do we think he's not going to allow struggle? But how are we going to handle it? Are we going to get better or are we going to get bitter? It says this, and, and I looked at this and I'm studying it and I'm like, what is it? it says in verse, it says that he would, in verse 48, it says, and he would have passed them by. Now that's very unusual. Some have trouble with this. What does that mean? That Jesus would have passed them by. Okay, this is really cool. <laughs> so, so Jesus is coming towards them and probably to them, it looked like he just was, you know, just, you could just picture his feet on the water, plink. Plink, plink, splash, splash. I don't know how, how deep they went. I think of these ridiculous things. How, bo- how, buoyant, how buoyant was Jesus, right? But he's right on top of that water, and he's probably just plinking across the water, and, and, and the boat is, is rocking, and they're straining, and they freak out. They see him because, of course, Jesus doesn't come the normal way, like swimming or in a rowboat or repelling from a helicopter. Jesus walks on water, you know? So it kind of freaks them out a little bit. But what happens is you, you kind of got to get the picture you have, the, you have the, the boat, right? And then you have the storm. And between the boat and the storm is Jesus. He might be walking parallel. He might be walking perpendicular. It really doesn't matter. But what they see is themselves, the storm, and between the two, here's Jesus Christ. As if to say, look at me, I'm just walking on the water. See this storm? I have control over all this. You know, and I can help you with what you're going through in your life. And we have to see the contrast as well. As we go through our storms, make sure you have the proper framework. Make sure Jesus isn't really little, sinking in the background somewhere. Put your Jesus between you and the problem. And watch him walk on the water back and forth as if he would walk right past you. Because he has everything under control. Amen? All right, verse 49, it's better than coffee. (laughs) But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out. Again, Jesus freaks them out. They don't expect to see him come that way. Maybe the disciples had some latent fears and superstitions that they completely haven't dealt with. And this is good for you and I, brothers and sisters, because they are the A-team. They're the A-list, but they made mistakes like we do. They had fears like we do. They had doubts like we do. They had a lack of faith at times like we do. And God is not always going to come to us the same way every time. And that's the problem with religion. That's what separates a relationship with God from a religion. 
When you go into religion, you say the same things, you do the same things. It's rote. You could almost do it in your sleep with your eyes closed. A relationship takes effort. It takes communication. It takes listening. It takes pouring your heart out. It takes trust. Jesus wasn't going to do it the same way each time. I love that. Every time he did a miracle, you know, you try to hold Jesus down. One time he says a word. Another time he touches somebody. Another time he spits on the ground, makes mud and spits throws it in somebody's eye, and they're, they're healed. You know, we can never nail him down to everything. He is God, <laughs> right? He is God. God does not always make things comfortable for us. And God, a lot of times, will purposely allow us to come out of our comfort zones. And when we serve God, sometimes the attitude is, okay, I'm going to serve, but it's got to be here and not here. It has to be these hours and not that hour's. I have to feel good. If I have a tummy ache, I can't come in and serve. I mean, just all these things. And God's like, come out of your comfort zones. Take a step of faith. Trust me. I'm here. Now, think about this as well. You had several of the disciples who were experienced fishermen. Do you think for a moment, if Jesus wasn't around, they would say, oh, look, there's a storm. That looks pretty bad. Hey, let's, let's get the boat, push it into the water, and let's go fishing. Of course they wouldn't do that. They were experienced. They knew what they were doing. They wouldn't go out in something like that. You can't catch fish. You damage your equipment. You don't bring a catch in. And somebody could get hurt or lose their life. It's counterproductive. But the Lord asked them to go into the storm. So what did they do? They were obedient. Sometimes in Western culture, we have a problem with obedience. And it gets us in trouble when it comes to our walk with our living God. You know? But it's, it's good for our maturity. Now, some of you may be stretched this morning. You may be so stretched that you feel like Gumby. You know, you're being pulled in all kinds of different directions. Take heart. Let the message sink down deep inside. Let it minister to you. Verse 50. For they all saw him and they were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Something else happened here that Mark doesn't record. If you would turn with me to Matthew 14, a few verses. This is a parallel scripture. Matthew 14, starting with verse 28. And you can find this really inserted between verses 50 and 51 in Mark's gospel. It says, And Peter answered him, Jesus, and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him, and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Peter was not afraid to take a step of faith. Where are we this morning? Now, some have an argument about this. Why? Okay, Mark was young. The apostle Peter had a heavy influence in Mark's gospel. Obviously, Peter walked with him. And... Some say that Peter had Mark leave this out because he was embarrassed. 
because he sunk. I disagree. You see, Peter sank, but at least he tried. And Peter might have been the only disciple to be able to say at the end of his life, you know, for a short period of time, I walked on water. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was something. I sank, but, um, but I gave it my best, you know. <laughs> I took four or five steps, and wow. He might have been the only disciple that was able to say that. And I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I want to take that step of faith. And you know what? I've failed in my life so many times, but I've embraced failure as a great teacher. And once you embrace failure and you say to yourself, I know I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail in my marriage. I'm going to fail at work. I'm going to fail at a promotion. I'm going to fail at my relationships. I'm going to fail at being a Christian. It takes the fear out of it. It takes the bite out of the fear. It defangs fear when you accept and embrace the fact that you will fail. We can't look at this as just a story that was written two years ago. We have to look at it in a a respect that we understand that can affect our lives every day in what we do. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. I want to be like Peter. Well, I kind of am because I say dumb things and I put my foot in my mouth, ask my wife. So I'm getting real close to the way he was. But I also want to step out in faith. The last part of this in, in verse 51 Going back to Mark, it says, Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they marveled. The fourth part here, the last part, is the storm's aftermath. You know, you ever been caught in a storm, and they're just really loud? You ever been outside when there's been a storm? It just, it's just auditory overload. It's sensory overload. You know, and, and sometimes I could just picture the disciples. <laughs> Jesus gets in the boat, Everything dies down. The decibels go down. You don't, you don't, you, all you hear is the ringing in your ears from all the noise that you just heard. You could just picture them with their hair dripping, totally soaking wet, just kind of looking at each other. This is a hair dripping moment. This is the storm's aftermath. This is where the disciples come together and make conclusions about who the Lord is. The Bible says that they said, truly, you are the son of God. And we put all, the, uh, all the, uh, the Gospels together. And new believers are going to go through this too. This is going to be a lot of fun for you. And this is really what I would call incremental revelation. Each time you go through something, each time, every year that you walk with him, you're going to look back and you say, yeah, I know more about the Lord now. I, I know him. I'm familiar with him. I get it. Incremental revelation. He's going to reveal himself more and more to you. And he definitely reveals himself to us through the word. You know, it's not like we tell people, you have to read your Bible. I don't quiz people, what would you read this week? I don't do that. Because when we read the Bible, it, it's life. It changes us. It, and Jesus said, if you love me, you'll follow my word. And the word is, is, is here. We have the word. Verse 52. It says, for they had not understood about the loaves. We're going back to the loaves. Remember last Sunday? Because their heart was hardened. In other words... They should have known. After what Jesus did with the loaves and the fish, it just happened a few hours ago. They should have known. The Lord's power is unlimited. So when Jesus got in the boat and the storm calmed down, in Matthew 14, 33, going back to that, it says, quote, Those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, 
you are the Son of God. What have you learned in the last few months about the Lord? What has he revealed himself to you? In your quiet time in prayer, what has he been speaking to your heart? What is a a theme that he keeps bringing up in your life? Cherish that. Test it with scripture. Hold on to that. Verse 53, last few verses. It says, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him ran through that whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. These people were motivated. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick on, in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. And that's true today. As many as touched him, as many as he touches will be made well. Number one, he needs to touch us spiritually. If we don't know him, when he touches us, when we, when we engage him, when we choose to follow him, we become well. All that, that he did on the cross, dying for our sins, it's all been paid for. We make that connection. We accept him into our life. And i got to tell you that even mentally, we start to think more clearer and uh, we come to our senses quicker. It starts to affect the mind as well. You know, coming to Christ, following the Lord is also a a healing agent. It's a soothing agent. So let's just check this out, these four points before we close. We can learn about the disciples, but what do we learn about our walk this morning? Number one, similar to the disciples, he will charge us with progressive responsibility. If you and I look back, we've been a Christian for a few years, we see too much is given, much is required. The more we start to know him and understand him and and, and walk with him, the more he'll charge us with progressive responsibility. Two, when we start to have a cro- close relationship with him, he will at times bless us with preparatory revelation, sometimes in the calm before the storm. He's letting us know we have to go through something. We have no choice. It's inevitable. But he, he strengthens us. He builds us. He edifies us. Right? And sometimes he gives us a word of wisdom or knowledge and let us know What exactly is coming down the road so we can be prepared? Three, as we start tallying the storms in our lives, similar to the disciples, we will still fail. But each time we will do a little better. And like that butterfly and like that seedling and like that bee trying to come out of its wax cocoon, um, the struggle is good for us. And four, don't waste a good storm. When the trial or the struggle is in the rearview mirror instead of in front of us. We need to try to understand what it was all about. And through incremental revelation, he's trying to teach us something. So, listen, if you're here this morning and you know, you're going through something and maybe you're even holding back some of your emotions as you're hearing this message, don't leave without talking to one of us and, and asking for prayer. Because this is really important. You know, God's word is there for a purpose. When you leave, the devil will tell you, oh, that was dumb. It it wasn't about you, you know. And he'll say all kinds of ridiculous things. And and he puts thoughts in your head. Or or your own thoughts. Don't run with that. You know, while while the Lord is fresh, while the the word is fresh in your hearts. Romans 10, 17 says that the word is regenerative. It really actually has power. Not in the English, but the concepts. What the Lord is trying to convey to us. So I just ask that you consider these things, we consider these things as we go forward this morning. Let's pray.